Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Good afternoon and welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that help those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests tell their recovery story and describe how sharing their experience has changed or even saved their lives. My name's Anne and today I'd like to welcome Cheryl to the show. Hi Cheryl. Hi. Um, Cheryl's a member of the Al-Anon of family groups and will be sharing her journey of recovery from the family disease of alcoholism and how Al-Anon has helped her cope with the effects of someone else's drinking. Um, Cheryl's from uh, Florida in the US and we were able to meet through Zoom so that's been one of the benefits of um, the pandemic if there are any benefits. <laughs> so Cheryl I thought we'd just start where uh, if I could just ask you uh, what was it like uh, growing up in a family affected by alcoholism and what your what your uh, early days were like in Massachusetts I believe. <laughs> thank you Anne yeah I'm, I'm, I just want to thank you for letting me be here and I do just want to remind everybody that um, there's no one person who speaks for Al-Anon that every time we hear somebody's strength experience and hope it's their version. And so I don't mean to um, in any way set myself up as a spokesperson for Al-Anon. Um, and I'm going to speak about how Al-Anon has helped me in my recovery. But um, just keep coming and keep hearing other stories. You'll hear your own someday. So hi, everybody. Um, thanks for listening today and I'm happy to be here. I grew up in a family, um, really an ordinary family for their time. I'm, I'm older. So it was the 50s when we were growing up. And so it was really quite an ordinary family, working class family. My mother um, and stepfather and father, between all of us, there were eight children. So it was a big family. Um, my father uh, was a drinker and my parents divorced when I was about two. I was number five down. My mother remarried, had uh, the next husband, and he was a drinker in the same way. So um, as I grew up, violence was not uncommon in our home. Screaming fights were certainly um, common. Um, it was the era anyway, not just in our family, but many families where children actually didn't really matter what you thought or what you felt. You really were just supposed to do what you were supposed to do and stay out of the way as much as possible. So I don't consider that unique necessarily to alcoholic homes, but um, probably the violence, probably the... Um, behaviors I learned as a young child. As a young child, I thought I could make a difference in my parents' behavior. I was the one who even at an early age, maybe seven, um, would rotary dial the police to come help us. Um, you don't have to do that nowadays, but in the old days you had to go through probably a few excruciating numbers that took a long time. Um, and they would come and everybody would be mad at me for doing things like that. And when my stepfather and my older brothers or sisters would get in a fight, I would get in between them. And I, I'd like to say, um, 
I learned as a child that that's stupid, but I never did learn that was stupid until I was much, much older because actually my stepfather liked me very much. I was the baby when he came and um, I actually could make a difference in his behavior. So it's, you know, kind of confusing in a way, like when I look back on it, it's like, yes, I have all these behaviors that theoretically are very unhelpful. And yet I know at the time they did make a difference. So um, that probably just adds to my craziness and my determination because, you know, it's kind of like a rat in a cage. Sometimes you get a reward, so it works out great. Um, so that was me growing up. I was um, very independent. Um, I really didn't care, even as a young person, what my parents thought or what my siblings thought. Um, I didn't get in trouble much, but when I did, I did. Um, I know that by the time I was like 12 and 13, I had really given up on, if I ever did expect, I don't think I ever did expect, but if I ever did expect, I had stopped expecting that anybody cared what I did or would be there for me. So I just didn't even have that. And I almost sometimes wonder if I was kind of sociopathic because I just didn't have those feelings other people have, but I think it's just from being in an alcoholic home, you learn to not have feelings. Feelings are not helpful. It wouldn't be helpful to sit around and cry because everybody's beating each other up or throwing plates across the room during dining experiences. It's not helpful. So you just learn not to do it. So um, by the time I was 12 or 13, I was pretty much sure that there was nothing for me in my home. So I started running away whenever they did anything I didn't like, even like scheduling a dentist appointment for me, which is kind of funny because I'm in a dental predicament right now, but <laughs> even scheduling anything I didn't, oh, stop. I should, I should say to the, I should say to the audience, we can't see Cheryl. Uh, she's a very attractive woman, but today she's got uh, one of those mouths that droops down to the side because of the anesthetic in her cheek from getting root yes. Treatment. I love I love dental work. Yes, <laughs> I have to sit there the whole time saying I'm sure my higher power has something good in store for me that I'm going through all this chaos. That's what I do today. But in those days, I would just run away. And so, um, of course, when you get home after running away, all I did was I used to read a lot. I still read a lot, but I would just take a book and go hide in a tree somewhere and stay away until I knew it was too late for them to do anything they wanted to do with me. Then I'd go home and they'd be furious that I dared to do that. But, you know, I just honestly didn't care. I can't explain it except that um, I've always had, and I still have it kind of like, I make up my own mind about myself and I started at an early age and I haven't stopped that. So uh, they'd be angry with me and uh, my siblings would yell at me and it's like, it, it just really would just be like, yeah, whatever. Except we didn't say, yeah, whatever in those days. <laughs> I just went about my business, I guess. And the next time, if they did something else, I would do the same thing. And I did it off and on for a long time until I um, really got to be so much trouble for them when I was like 14 that they sent me away to school, hoping that school would reform me. So that's when I be, uh, really see that my blessings in life started. And I didn't have Al-Anon in those days. Um, I think there was Al-Anon in those days because my mother told me as an adult, when I was an adult and going, that she actually went one time. But the people there were so depressed, she couldn't stand it. So she never went back, which is really crazy and ironic, but that's the way it goes. So um, I went away to school and actually in school, I must've been the kind of kid who craved without knowing it, structure and meaning because at school I was given both structure and meaning. And I really blossomed, you know, I, I actually was smart. I didn't know I was smart. And um, here's a nice little story. When I went there, they tested me and the person, the woman in charge said to my mother, um, well, she'll be in a college course. And in those days, people didn't just get to go to college. My family was not going to pay for me to go to college. Um, and that was an understanding. When you were done with high school, you were supposed to move out and move along. Um, and my mother said, oh, she can't do that. She has to um, do a business course and take typing because when she graduate she'll have to support herself and the woman looked at my mother and said she's too smart for that she will be in the college course I will allow her to take a course in typing and that was the first time I ever saw anybody stand up to my mother and in my behalf so even before I got there I was 
really secretly a little bit impressed that somebody did that and got away with that. And that was just the beginning story. That woman became a wonderful mother type to me. And um, I really loved my experience there at that school. I did graduate. Um, I did a lot of things, but I want to skip all that. Um, it all it all ended up good. I did get to go to college, though. I went when I was a little bit older and, and not with my family's help, but I didn't need it by that time. Um, I think I didn't make good choices when I was young and I didn't make good choices when I was a little bit more than young. So as I went into my um, my late teens, my 20s, my 30s, I had done a few years of doing what I thought people wanted me to be. I was a good girl at school. I got married um, right after I left school to a guy from our hometown. And I tried to be a good wife and it really wasn't going well. And he wasn't an alcoholic. I just was the way I was. But I went on from there. Being a divorcee um, in the 70s, believe me, um, was different. So um, I did a lot of things I wish I hadn't done. And I'm sure they're fine because here I am. You know, you learn what you learn. Now, the other thing is that. Um, Carol, I didn't, tell us a little bit ahead. about, um, you know, you said you, you weren't, you didn't fit into that mold of the good, the good wife. What was, nah. what were your shortcomings? My shortcomings? <laughs> from a, from um, I, I didn't get the role at all. You know what I mean? I never <laughs> had been shown the role. I certainly wasn't modeled the role. My mother was not really a very good wife. And, um, I re like I said, I was kind of I was kind of an independent agent, and I think in many in me, you know I'm not saying I'm actually not saying that anything I got from being an adult child of a of an alcoholic home is necessarily bad. I think many qualities I got were excellent. They've served me well in business and in life. Um, but I'm I'm thinking it was always a question of degree. So for instance, like one of the questions on, did you grow up with a problem drinker, which is a little blurb we have, and it's for people who grew up with a problem drinker to think about, um, do you recognize your accomplishments? Usually not. Uh, do you fear criticism? Absolutely. Do you overextend yourself? Absolutely. Have you had problems with your own compulsive behavior? Absolutely. <laughs> do you have a need for perfection? Absolutely. Yep. So those are qualities that make me a a pain in the ass wife, but I tell you, it makes you a fabulous worker. And I worked for a company in the United States that was very conservative. And they, I think they, I think they use this in their hiring practices. I think it was, they, all the people I worked with were like this. And um, <laughs> it was a very big drinking culture too, in that company. And so I'm not saying that the qualities are necessarily bad qualities, but as we find and grow in Al-Anon, we learn that some of the qualities we have can be helpful to us in one situation and absolutely detrimental to us in another. And I think that was the problem. I married someone who was, um, you know, probably, and I've done this repeatedly, I think I do it on purpose, married someone who was less bright than I am. So I could manipulate, I could be in charge. Not that I ever said to myself, you know, we, me in those days, 20 years old or whatever, I'm, I'm going to be in charge. I never said that. I had no self-awareness, but I had an idea of how things had to be for me to be okay. That's what I had. Um, and I've operated my life to make that be true. Yeah. Does that help at yeah. all? And it's a subconscious thing, isn't it? You, you, you well, absolutely. totally yeah. learned how to, how to survive and it doesn't occur to you to do anything different. Absolutely not. And still today, Anne, you know, I can find myself doing some of those same things um, only because, you know, what did I need to do to survive? And I now I'm able to say to myself, is this helpful in this situation or do I want to choose to be different today about something? But that's a long road of learning, which I sure didn't have when I started. So um, what followed after that is that I just kept picking people who were people I could fix, people who needed me, then they wouldn't maybe leave me. I don't know. That's what I maybe thought. Although half the time I thought I wanted them to leave me or I would leave them, but I still think I didn't want to be left. And I thought I could contribute something to the situations. So I never feel, I feel like I didn't much challenge myself in life. 
I was always expressing myself through my artistry in another person's life rather than my own. So um, I'm not sure how that worked for me. I don't think it worked very well. <laughs> but um, anyway, time went by and um, I had, I was, I married again. I married a guy who's actually not an alcoholic, but probably brought up by um, adult children as well himself. And we had a son and I divorced him by the time our son was three. So then after that, I was even more irresponsible than I used to be, although I was, you know, trying to be a good mother. And I think I did okay some of the time. Um, I was irresponsible about my relationships with men. Absolutely. Um, so I have amends to make about that um, and do. But um, I kept kind of, you know, they say the disease is progressive. And so since I was doing nothing to make my disease better, it did get progressive. And I ended up with um, a guy who really was someone like I never thought I'd be with. And I think the beauty of that today, and there is a beauty about that, is that it got me here. I was at a place in my life where my career was really taking off. And I was absolutely 100% financially secure and in a job I totally loved. So it's like you have that dichotomy. You know, it's hard to figure out how sick you are when part of your life is gangbusters and part of your life is in the ditch. That's really, so, yeah. that's really interesting what you're saying there. Because I, I, yeah. I've been thinking, listening to some of the things you're saying, and it really is that, that dichotomy that um, you, right. you, you use that idea of a rat in a cage. So, you know, sometimes the interfere the the fixing, managing, and controlling works. Most of the time it doesn't. Absolutely. In the long term it doesn't. But you're getting it doesn't ever in relationships. But you get a little yes. reward every so often and you every end up like, doing yep. it. It's like a gambler. <laughs> for um, sure. <laughs> and then and then for that to uh, to bring you to that point about um being an artist in someone else's life, <laughs> that almost sums up what the what codependency is, doesn't it? being an artist absolutely so we're going to go for a break in a minute but can, can you just talk about a little bit about what that artistry looks like what that artistry <laughs> looks like well that's why we all end up in Alan on it never looks like you want it to <laughs> because people just don't cooperate <laughs> you know you've got somebody else saying hell no I won't go so you're trying your best to make someone into something they never wanted to be and of course, it, it hits the skids every time. You know, it really does. So um, that's probably a good place to go to break, right? <laughs> okay, okay. No, just before, just before, who was this guy? And who did you want oh, to be? Um, who did you want to be? Well, he was definitely a huge womanizer. He was handsome. Don't get me wrong. And I think that was part of it for me. I guess I want to say before break about myself is that um, I grew up, and what I learned later, I gave to relationships was nothing, like only myself physically. And I think so then I, that's the kind of person I would attract. That's what I had to offer. I wasn't in the market for giving anything more. I didn't have trust. I wasn't willing to be intimate. I didn't pick people people should be intimate with. So it's like I engineered the whole thing so that I could continue doing what I, what I knew how to do. So I take kind of full responsibility for myself in that. But yeah, he was he was totally someone you wouldn't want to be with. Yeah. Irresponsible, drinker, drugs. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely um he always had women on the side. Yeah. 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 And he was also violent. So, you know, yeah, he had like a what happened, not a trifecta bigger than that, right? And you had a lot to work with there, so you were in your element. <laughs> Didn't I? Didn't I? <laughs> Plus, he was young and perhaps malleable. <laughs> okay. Um, Wrong. <laughs> thank you so much for, for all of that. Well, we'll go to a break um, and we'll play some uh, music. This is a country tune from a band called the Kindly Ravens. Uh, they're from Brisbane and they play Americana music, so I thought this would be nice music to play in honour of our American guest, Cheryl. So here's the Kindly Ravens with a song which I think is also called the Kindly Ravens. Running water flows 
Listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force. Yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Welcome back to the Living Free show on 3CR. Uh, the song you heard just before those announcements was the Kindly Ravens song, uh, which I think is also called the Kindly Ravens, but I can't find that out. Um, today we're talking to Cheryl about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan on Family Groups. Cheryl, let's talk now about what happened um, just before you got to Alan on and what it was like when you got to Alan on. Okay. Um, well, you can imagine, I mean, how old was I? I was in my mid-30s, so I was at the peak of my gorgeousness. I, w- I just got a fabulous job, so that's going very well. So many, many things are going well, but what's not going well is that I'm bending over backwards trying to make this other person into something I think he should be, and um, really living in chaos, really living in chaos. I had a son from my um, first marriage, second marriage, sorry, and... Um, he would go to his father's every other weekend, which left me free to raise hell. And I did. Um, so I just, I just hooked up with this person, as I said, in the first segment. And um, I went down the tubes with him, chasing him down. Um, I was very persistent, which is a wonderful quality for work and a terrible quality for that particular relationship. And, um, you know, I probably had anger because this person, I was pregnant, and now I wasn't going to have a father, I wasn't going to have a mate, and what are people going to think? Stuff like that. I had some of that as an adult in that community. Um, Were you drinking too yourself? Like when you say, this is the 70s, you're raising hell, everything's freed up. Were you drinking? Um, I drank. In my life, I've drunk a few times and gotten drunk. Like when I drink, I can get drink to get drunk. But I actually, um, I never did drugs, and I never like indulged in alcohol a lot. Although, you know, I certainly have spells where I, you know, I maybe I bought a bottle of Bailey's Irish cream and I had some every night until the bottle was gone, you know, a little bit. And, um, and then I wouldn't like that. So then I wouldn't buy a bottle for a long time. Um, so yeah, I can, I can do that at times and I still can do that at times, but actually um, it never was like a big deal. And I always was sick after. 
So, yeah, I know. There, I was in an AA um, share once and the guy was talking about, he was talking for AA and he was saying how he was on the airplane and the person next to him was asking the, the um, you don't call them stewardesses anymore, the flight attendant, what sort of wine they had. And um, because they didn't have the kind he wanted, he didn't have any. And that A guy, got, a guy was so funny because he's like, can you imagine? Can you imagine not drinking just because they don't have rosé? He was like going on and on. And like, I was always like, I'll take the rosé. No, you don't have it. Okay, I don't want it. You know what I mean? I'm like that with food and I'm like that with beverages. So yeah, so I don't think that was a big thing for me. I mean, I really totally was the Al-Anon, um, I'm going to change the world to my liking. I am the higher power. And so um, there I was realizing this person was helping me realize in a very big way that I was not and never would be a higher power. I was in therapy at a time. I was in a group um, program. There were alcoholics and Al-Anon potentials in that group. And the therapist kept saying to me, you know, you need to go to Al-Anon. I'm glad you come to the group, but you need to go to Al-Anon. And um, finally, I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> I say, yeah, whatever a lot. But um, we got, I had the baby and um, I guess maybe I had told him or maybe I just decided myself that when I had the baby, I would start going to Al-Anon. I don't honestly know what it is about Al-Anon that got me, except that they let me do what I wanted. When I first went to Al-Anon, I had a brand new baby in a pouch. I would go late and leave early so I wouldn't have to speak to other people. I did not consider them my peers. I did not consider them people of interest to me. I was ashamed. I was wondering, like many of us when we get to Al-Anon, why am I here? The other person should be in a program, not me. Um, so I had all those bad attitudes from arrogance, you know, from thinking I was the higher power. Um, so I think I just kept going because they were nice. They were kind. They smiled at me. They accepted me and the baby. Um, nobody said, you can't come here with that. And um, so I did. I went, I made friends over a period of time. Um, I was, I said this before and I'll say it again, but not here, of course, because it's a new place, but I did not want to accept a higher power. I had a God. I had a God because um, here's how I know I had a God, I'll tell you. When that person was uh, cheating on me, one night in the middle of the night, I loaded the baby in the back of the car. Probably my son was at his dad's house that weekend. And I went searching for the address where the person was in a different state too. So it's like, it's a very thin line that separates me from going to jail. Actually, the things I did were crazy things. But um, I got the address in a bad professional way, if not illegal. It probably was illegal, but it was at least poor professional practice. And somebody helped me do that. So I have a lot of helpers along the way. <laughs> and um, I went by, and it was a one-way street, I remember. And I said to God, so I must have known there was a God, if his car is there, I promise I won't stop. I just want to know. So I was lying even to God, got halfway down the street, saw the car, went past the house, slammed on the brakes, put it in reverse, got out of the car, pounded on the door. This is about two or three o'clock in the morning, of course, because when else would it be? And no, I didn't even have to be drunk to do these things. I just did them. That's how crazy I was. And, you know, a big fight ensued right there um, in a different state. So um, I did many, many crazy things and I was doing them, you know, while I was in Al-Anon and I didn't think I had a higher power. And I, but um, over a period of time, they say, if you just keep your butt in the chair, you will hear what you need to hear. And um, I think I did start to hear some things that I needed to hear and I can't identify what they were. I did get a sponsor. Um, she was a wonderful sponsor to me. She was my sponsor for about 30 years. And then sadly, she died in surgery just two years ago. And um, I'll just say this bit about that is that within two weeks of her dying, I knew that what she would have wanted me to do would be to get a new sponsor. That would be the primary thing that I should do. So I asked someone else to be my temporary sponsor and it's worked out. And now I have another wonderful sponsor. And I do believe in sponsorship. 
they say in our program, um, the isms that we have, like I, um, the isms we have, like, like that, that need of all the crazy things we do or a bunch of isms and ism stands for I sponsor myself. So somewhere along the line, I got that message and um, I had a wonderful sponsor. And I'll just say this last thing about how crazy she was too, because she actually came from AA and um, she hadn't been in Al-Anon very long herself. So when I said thanks to her, like, I'm going to drive up to New Hampshire tonight and um, I have a key to that guy's apartment. I'm going to go through it and look for evidence that he's been with other women. She never said to me the sensible Al-Anon things like, gee, honey, do you think that's a good idea? Which would be an appropriate Al-Anon response. No, she said, great, what time are you picking me up? And we both would go off and do crazy things together. So anyway, we limped through recovery together, she and I. Um, and she totally was great about the higher power. She really was up until the day she died. She was still spiritual enlightenment, spiritual experience, spiritual basis for the program, spiritual sobriety. Um, she was just fabulous about um, always wanting to do what her higher power wanted her to do. And I think she probably was very influential on me um, until I understood my own higher power, which any, anybody don't panic out there. It's like your higher power can any, be anything you choose it to be. And I do call my higher power God because I do. <laughs> and you can call your higher power anything you want. But I think my higher power helped me. Um, my sponsor made me do the steps, which I think are essential to recovery. Um, so I came in with those attitudes that I mentioned. I was not a willing participant. And yet I came. And I don't even know why I came. Um, probably because I had nothing else to do on Friday night with a baby. You know, I'll tell you the truth. And people were nice to me and you had coffee. I don't know. But I kept coming. And over a period of time, um, I found a voice in Al-Anon. They say sometimes in Al-Anon, we listen to you um, and like love you that way into your own being so that you can hear your own voice. And that's kind of what happened for me. Um, so I started to, um, I started to make better friends, tell you the truth. I started to um, understand that there were other ways of living than the way I lived. I'll never forget this. This is a story for somebody, which is why it must have popped in my head. There was a very old woman, kind of like I am now, but she was then and I was not. And I was boo-hooing because he was gone and I'd never love anybody again. And, you know, here I have this baby and I don't know what to do. And uh, what's to become of me? That sort of, you know, mindset. And she just, she was like teeny. She looked up at me and I'm only five too. And she's like, oh, honey, don't worry about it. There's another one like him right around the corner. <laughs> another one like him. <laughs> but I didn't find really that reassuring because I'm like, oh, no, I can't do it again. But... <laughs> I loved her attitude. She had a lovely attitude. Um, and so I just grew in the program. I just did over a period of time. I learned to um, add more, add more meetings to my schedule. I went to one for years and I think that going, going to one meeting a week and not believing in a higher power that slowed me down considerably. Um, sometimes in Al-Anon people say, say after like two months, Oh my God, this is so great. I got the program. And I'm like, huh? I ain't get that at all. I'm a very slow learner. I like to think I'm stubborn and maybe that's why, but whatever. Um, we are where we are. Everybody does it at their own rate and in their own way. And so, um, yeah, so it just became more and more a way of life for me. Um, I, I like to read, but go ahead, hon. Sorry, Jill. Um, no. what did you, you mentioned spiritual sobriety. How do you understand mm. the, the meaning of spiritual sobriety? Um, good question. Um, and I think that's an AA term, actually, because we actually don't speak about spiritual sobriety. Um, but there is a page in the AA book, and I don't know where, but um, I heard this once at an Al-Anon meeting, but I found out years later it was from the AA. He didn't say it was from AA. But I loved what this man said in a meeting, and I was pretty young then in program. And he said, I am only one millimeter away from my craziness at all times. And I keep that one millimeter between me and my 
craziness by maintaining my spiritual condition. His name was Joseph. And I thought he was like the most brilliant man I ever heard. What a beautiful thing to say. And I totally could get that. So I think for us, that's about what that means for me. Although I have to acknowledge AA and say later when I was reading the big book, because I do read the big book too. um, And I did the steps on the big book too, as an Al-Anon person. Um, which is done in some places, but not legally, according to Al-Anon. But (laughs) um, it says that right in there. So he didn't even make it up. So that's what I mean. I think that, that, um, well, I'll just say it. For me, for me, keeping the focus on myself, I was a very arrogant woman. I was a very independent, I'm still independent, but I'm not, I don't believe I'm as arrogant as I was. I really thought I knew what was best for others, not necessarily, I didn't even know who I was, but I thought I had a lot to offer other people. And sometimes I can fall into that trap still. So, um, and I totally was um, wanting to run things my way because I was pretty sure my way was the best way. Um, And I'm not saying there's not history for that to be true. I get it. Um, And I forgive myself for it. But um, I made a lot of messes mm-hmm. running a running riot. I was self will run riot, mm-hmm. which we say about the other program, but it's true for us as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can take the high road and pretend like other, you know, even my own. Oh, I can't say that because I'm not going to speak about anybody else. Okay, mm-hmm. never mind. But um, <laughs> I do have those qualities that those personal characteristics that would make you eligible for any program. I have them. My particular expression of my craziness was through other people. Do you think there's a direct analogy between the alcoholic just not picking up the first drink and Al-Anon members not picking up the first, what is it, the first um, uh, urge to control something else or the first? If you're aware of it, but think, you know, when did you become aware of it is the question. When did we grow up enough to understand that we have these behaviors? Mm. I think for me, that was a lot of work in Al-Anon to get to the place where it was well past my first fourth step. You know, it was well past my doing the steps. It was well past probably a decade Mm. in Al-Anon before I got to see the evidence in my life suggests that I have a pattern of behaviors which don't work for me. And yet I keep returning to them. How am I going to interrupt that? Yep. Yep. You know, further study is what I picked. Yep. You know, further study, further talking, further exploration in the program. It's here, but I didn't get it. Yep. The way some people get it right away. And I don't even know if they really get it right away. Time will tell, right? Because life is full of turmoil in program or out of program. That's the bottom line. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cheryl. We'll go to another break now. Um, And when we come back after the break, you can tell us all about where you are now in your life. There I am now. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Phone in my hand. Still checking if you called on double texting. I've never been caught on burning that bridge. Yeah, I'm on fire.
experiencing hardship due to the pandemic, you can check now to see if you're eligible to apply for the Victorian Government's new one-off rental relief grant worth up to $1,500. To help you, Tenants Victoria have put together an eligibility checklist. This will make it easier for you to assess whether you're eligible to apply for the grant, which is paid as a contribution towards rent. There are some steps involved to qualify for the grant. See the checklist for more information and visit the Tenants Victoria website for further details on how to apply. Go to tenantsvic.org.au and search for Rent Relief Grants. Tenants Victoria is a 3CR supporter. your chance to tune in so come on come in live on thursdays 3 p.m 3cr 855 a.m the band you heard before the break just there was a melbourne band camp cope with their new single, Blue. This is a Living Free show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Cheryl about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon. So Cheryl, where are you now? How long have you been in where Al-Anon? And where are oh you? my gosh. <laughs> I have been in Al-Anon for 33 blessed years. <laughs> Um, as I said, I came when my daughter was a baby and she's now a 33 year old grown woman, mother, career, married, doing great. I'm very happy about that. And, um, you know, I, I live my life in Al-Anon really now. I, you know, it's not half yet, but it will be God willing if I live long enough, you know, cause I don't, I never, uh, some people come to Al-Anon and then they take a vacation. I, I never took a vacation from Al-Anon. Um, I never felt the need to. If there are meetings that distress me, I go to other meetings. Um, there's plenty of opportunity in Al-Anon to find what you want. And, um, you know, I'm going to take us back to some books that were here in the beginning. But when I first joined Al-Anon, there were like two books. And now there's like a whole bunch of books. So there's always more, you know, brilliant minds coming my way and more to learn and I go to many meetings now a week and I really enjoy them, especially with Zoom. What a great opportunity, sad for the world, sad for us, but fabulous that Zoom was here. Um, And so often I learn new things and I've met new people and I've enjoyed that very much. Um, So life opens up. And um, today I would say um, I'm happy, I'm peaceful. I teach, I've been a yoga teacher for like 20 years. That contributes to my growth as well. Um, I hang around with people who you can really talk to, friends. They're not an Al-Anon even, but they're lovely people who knew. Um, and I, I actually have even moved geographically uh, to Florida from Massachusetts. And I have a wonderful life here as well. So I just don't even have any complaints. And if I did have complaints... I have ways to process complaints now because I understand that I am not the master of the universe, that um, that by myself, my best thinking got me to Al-Anon and I was hurtful to other people. And now I have lots of help to not be quite the person I was. And, you know, as you and I were talking during break, sometimes you fall anyway. 
that's why one of the steps says every day, you know, look at yourself, make sure you're living the way you want to live. And if not, try to clean it up. You know, that's life. Um, but I did want to say there's this great passage. And this is in a book that we actually know. Uh, we have this book. It's called 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. It's the original step book. But I have one of the first ones. And in the new editions of this book, this particular passage is not there. And I don't understand why, because to me, it's like totally Al-Anon. And I'm going to read um, a little bit. Um, it said, if we were inclined to think back to the wrong we did to the alcoholic and others before we embraced the Al-Anon program, we could take comfort from all we were learning in Al-Anon about acceptance, detachment, understanding, and how to love without demanding conformity from others. So that whole passage is not even in our book anymore. And like, I can't for the life of me figure out why, because for me, how to love people without demanding that they conform to my idea of who they should be, what they should say, how they should look, how they should behave has been fundamental to my happiness. I no longer feel that way. I work so hard at loving my grown children exactly the way they are today. If I'm not loving them exactly the way they are, then who do I think I'm loving? You know what I mean? It just doesn't even make sense to me. Um, but yeah, that's one of my main quests in life. In our little just for today, it says, um, I won't find fault with anything, nor try to improve or regulate anybody but myself. Also me. I used to, I would, I would look at people and I'd say, oh God, she'd be so, so much cuter. If she just did this with her hair or that with her hair. Or if he slouched, I'd be like, oh my God, he'd be so much more handsome if he just put his shoulders back. You know what I mean? Like I had a million ideas <laughs> running through my head every minute of every day about what other people could do. Um, now I understand that I live within my own hula hoop and I have absolute control over me in that hula hoop. And outside that hula hoop, I'm not in charge. You know, my higher power is in charge. So I have a friend in California and I'll say what she says because I love it. She said, I have to remember that I'm loved beyond imagining by a higher power who loves me beyond imagining, but has left me in charge of almost nothing. And I say that to myself a lot. I understand every day, and this is the difference. These are the things I did not get as a child that I did not get as a woman growing up through the decades. I now trust and feel loved by my higher power, which enables me to trust people who are trustworthy, which is a first for me, and um, to love others, truly love them. And um, I'm willing to share myself today, absolutely. And I do, you know, as appropriate but those were things I had to learn, and I learned them in Al-Anon, that there was such a thing as trust. These were things I wasn't brought up to know, but now I know them. And I, I, you know, once you understand that you are loved and you are precious, it's a very small step to understanding that everybody is loved and precious. So um, that's, I live my life from that today, and it's made a huge difference, a huge difference. And, um, I don't walk around anymore. If I start to think about what other people should do, I understand that I'm mixed up. Maybe I ought to hit a meeting or call my sponsor or do some reading because I'm screwed up. I've walked past that little teeny one millimeter we were talking about. I'm playing in the one millimeter and I'm getting too close to the line. Um, so I need to back off. So there's that. Do you have a question? You look like you do. Uh, <laughs> don't, uh, I can go on. No, I have. I was thinking back to the um, artistry analogy that you had, that you were you were an artist in in another in other people's lives. Um, now that and you've and we've all probably got such a strong urge to do that. Right. Where do you now practice your art? Like, if you're not allowed to be fixing up other people and making art out of them, where do you practice that creative urge? Yes, my creative urge. My creative urge, um, I can fully express in my home. Everything in my home is something I love or want to have there, including people. So like um, I was in a relationship and I terminated it because I felt it wasn't contributing significantly in a positive way to my life. And 
you know, for people my age to choose to be alone is unusual. And I had a lot of kickback from a lot of folks, but um, it was the right decision for me for whatever reason at this time. Um, So everywhere I look in my home, I see things I love. I have found that although uh, my grown children who are really 30s and 40s, they're not children, they're grown, beautiful adults, don't need me for this or that. The world is full of people who need. I have friends on my next street who have like two little boys and the husband had COVID and the, um, you know, two things. One is the wife is, uh, they're both Arabic, but um, I'm giving, I meet her to do English. We talk, you know, we just practice and we do, I write things and she practices. she has homework. Um, she wants that. It's fun to do. And when they had COVID, I brought them food. You know, and everything is so appreciated because it's not your children. Your children don't want that crap from you. But other people are, are, are so happy to be loved and to get something. So um, I think it's I try to be open to um, what's around me. And if there's something I'm supposed to do for someone today, anybody, I don't have to know them or love them. Um, people I know and love, I try to be kind and loving to at all times, no matter what no matter what they do or what they think or what beliefs they have that are different from mine. My only job is to be loving and kind to them if I love them. And if I don't love them, where can I be kind to them, you know, today to people who are like strangers. So I don't have actually a lot of strangers in my life. I seem to have a lot of friends because I make friends and um, my life is busy and I volunteer someplace where they say they love me and I believe them, which for me is like a first. And I, I do love them too. So it's like, you know, there's lots of places where I can express that desire to give, the desire to care for, um, the desire to nurture and love. There's a million places where you can find a welcome outlet for that. And the key is I'm not pushing it down someone's throat who doesn't want it. I'm responding to people saying I could use some help with, and then I see if I'm able to help them with that. Mm -hmm. So does that answer? It very much answers it. Yeah, yeah there's a whole lot of things. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is still, it's along that line is judgment of other people. I did give it up. I don't do it anymore. I don't look at people and say, gosh, wouldn't she be cute with red hair? No, I don't. Um, and I found it's kind of like a circle. It's like, as I accept myself, I accept others. As I accept others, I accept myself. And it goes along around and around. And there's a reading from one of our daily readers. And it says, um, we are ill-equipped to make judgments, even of ourselves. And if sometimes I find a judgment coming to my mind, like, oh, my God, that guy's an idiot, I'll start to think. And then I'll say, actually, Cheryl, you are ill-equipped to make judgments of others and even yourself. So that means I don't get to yell at me either. I don't yell at myself anymore. Um, I accept, you know, if I screwed up, I screwed up. I try to clean it up as best I can and let it go. There's another one in our readers that I love also. It says, what other people think of me is none of my business. I know I say it all the time, but it's like that gives me the freedom to love my children even if they're in a stage of, you know, she's old, she's stupid, what does she know, you know, (laughs) which I can empathize with for their sakes, but I don't have to kill them for it. Because you know what, even though I love them, it still is none of my business what they think of me. Mm -hmm. And I try to, you know, tell myself things like that. There's one more thing you and I were talking about during break, but it's the concept of, well, there's two more things. I hope I have time. What time is it? We have time. Yeah, you've got we'll about, fix you've got it about three minutes. Yeah. Oh, three minutes. Shoot. We can go over. <sighs> That's all right. We cannot. We all right. One is the I don't know concept. I love this I don't know concept. My sponsor tells a story of um, there was she was in New York and there was going to be a big storm and her son, who was a grown man in his twenties, late twenties, had his car parked in the street. And the rule in Long Island where she was was that you were supposed to put the cars off the street in the driveway. And um, she saw the car and she really, really, really wanted to correct him. And something she held on to herself and did not. The next morning after the hurricane had gone through, a whole great big tree had fallen down. And guess where it fell? It actually fell in the driveway. (laughs) His car was fine in the street. 
which helped her to know that she doesn't know. So then I found this page in um, Courage to Change, which talks about not knowing. It's page 79. I won't read the whole thing. Um, but it says, today, I still have to be vigilant about minding my own business. I know that when my thoughts begin with he should or she shouldn't, I am probably in trouble. I don't have the answers for other people. I don't make the rules for appropriate behavior, good business conduct, driver courtesy, or common sense. I don't know what is best for others because I don't know the lessons that their higher power is offering them. Nine times out of 10, I am focused on someone else to avoid looking at something in my own life. I grow in my ability to relate to others when I allow them to be exactly as they are. The greatest gift I can give to myself is my own attention. So that's a great one. Mm -hmm. And then I just have a reading about hope, which is in the ODAT, which I can share or not share as you choose, because it's like my favorite page in all the world. That, Cheryl, <laughs> that would be such a good ending because we've, we've got about one minute. It would be it's a my favorite thing. Episodes. Thank you. And I think I kind of touched on the service in Al-Anon Al -An -An that you learn about to others. But I want to say we serve even when we do it. Like one time I was in California and the, a woman was speaking about a big problem about hope, how hopeless she was and how bad she felt. And I said, oh, my gosh, I have a page about that. I'm going to find it and read it to you. And this was just in a meeting. And when I went to this page, she got goosebumps because this page is her son's birthday. And that's the person she was wow. having the trouble with. Wow. So I just want to point out, we are used. We are absolutely used all the time. As soon as we give ourselves over, which is the third step and reminded in the 11th step, as soon as we give up my will, I'm part of something much bigger than I ever thought of being. And that's where you get the joy and the light and the life from. So August 21st in the ODAD, if I believe that it is hopeless to expect any improvement in my life, I am doubting the power of God. If I believe I have reason for despair, I am confessing personal failure, for I do have the power to change myself, and nothing can prevent it but my own unwillingness. Never let me imagine that my satisfaction with life depends on what someone else may do. This is a thinking error I can get rid of in Al-Anon. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. I hope that didn't sound like too much of an abrupt ending and rest assured that I was able to thank Cheryl very much for her generosity in coming uh, via Zoom with, to us today to share her Al-Anon experience. If you would like to find out more about Al-Anon family groups, then you can phone them on 1300 252 666 or go online at alanon.org.au for more information about meetings or phone contacts throughout Australia. I'd like to thank again Cheryl for joining me today and sharing her Al-Anon recovery experience with us. Thank you, Cheryl. I hope you'll be able to listen again next week when we will be talking about recovery from addiction. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.